0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madcap. I'm David Ross.
1: And I'm Daniel Bloom. One, two,
2: three. One, two, three.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. Got to know how to.
0: today we're taking you down south to one of the deepest veins of recorded music America has ever produced Muscle Shoals Alabama
2: need somebody to help me say it one. Time.
1: From Wicked Wilson Pickett to Percy Sledge, Aretha Franklin to Leonard Skinner, Muscle Shoals was the incubator for some of the greatest music of the 1960s and 70s. A new film is rolling out across America, telling the
0: story of Rick Hall and the musical movement he conceived on the banks of the Tennessee River. This is Wilson Pickett's Land of a Thousand Dances.
1: Today, we're hearing from the director of Muscle Shoals, whom we met during the exemplary annual festival known as AFI Docs. We'll let him introduce himself. Would you please state your name for the people?
3: I'm Greg Camillier, director of Muscle Shoals.
0: Would you please tell us about your first time in Muscle Shoals? What were you driving and what were you listening to?
3: I was in my friend saline Mustang.
2: Mustang it!
0: how did the town make you feel the first time you were there?
3: It had a it, uh, it had a total vibe. It impacted both of us almost immediately.
2: Oh no. Guess you better slow. You must ain't
1: And is it true you hadn't even intended to end up in muscle shoals? No, I
3: had no intention to end up in muscle shoals whatsoever, yeah. We were um, you want the bat little backstory on this? Please. Um, so, yeah, so I was on a road trip with my buddy. He was moving from the East Coast to New Mexico and needed help getting his car across the country, and he recruited me. And we would just drive. We, we took the southern route, and we wanted to take back roads to the south. We would just drive till we'd get tired, and then we'd pull out a map. We didn't have a GPS and look for where we wanted to sleep. We drove backwards. We pulled out the map one night, and we uh, saw Muscle Shoals was behind us about 40 miles. And so we turned around and drove 40 miles backwards on a 1,700-mile road trip to spend the night in Muscle Shoals.
1: heard of Muscle Shoals and you wanted to go check it
3: out oh yeah because we yeah I mean I knew I remember getting Dwayne Allman anthology in like seventh or eighth grade and reading those liner notes and it talks about Muscle Shoals a lot in there so yeah we I was a huge Allman Brothers fan early on and Leonard Skinner early on so I knew those uh, connections to Muscle Shoals and I also knew Clarence Carter had cut there but that is all I knew at that moment had been cut in Muscle Shoals Can we talk
1: a little bit about your favorite Skynyrd tracks? I mean, we're going to talk about Freebird, obviously. Sure. I'm a big Skynyrd fan, and this Uh. is dedicated to Bennett Shields, my good, good buddy who introduced me to that wonderful band.
3: Boy, I mean, my favorite tracks, I know a little, Curtis Lowe... Simple Man, I had an incredible piece cut to the film for Simple Man, which was first cut in Muscle Shoals.
2: Mama told me when I was young, you sit beside me, my only son.
3: And I always found those lyrics so emblematic of those characters and I wanted that in the film badly. And had we not had another ending, which with Alicia and everyone playing, that would have probably been the ending was this piece I cut was to Simple Man because it's so those guys.
0: nobody done a story on this uh, on the studio this town before
3: that's I know that's what that's what motivated us to tell the story I mean that's just it's it's um it's mind-bending how that could not have occurred up till now it's just it makes zero sense
0: I'll take you there by the stable singers oh, oh. tell me about your first interaction with Rick Hall
3: in his office, in his chair, which you'll see as he sits in the film quite often, and he's a hard sell man. He put us through the ringer. Since that point we were kind of vested in really wanting to do this, we were kind of sweating bullets because, man, he was, he, he, he was not easily impressed, even though you tell him you want to make a film about him and you're going to do a good job, and he was not impressed by us and took a lot of um, repeated efforts on our part, I guess. How long was that courtship? We went down there just to meet those guys, Swampers and Rick, no cameras, just to say, hey, this is who we are. We must have spent four hours with them that day. And by the end of that four hours, we didn't have a yes, but we didn't have a no. So we figured it was kind of like, well, a maybe and sort of a noncommittal, like you can come down and I guess I'll talk to you kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: So what compelled Rick Hall to start Fame
2: Studios? My father was a sawmiller and we lived away out in the Freedom Hills. No houses, no neighbors, no kids to play with. The floor in our house was dirt. The heater was made out of an oil drum. We slept on straw beds made out of straw that we pulled up in the fields. We had no bathing facilities, no toilets, nothing. And we just kind of grew up like animals. That made me a little bitter, somewhat driven. I wanted to be special. I wanted to be somebody. I would say it's the
3: combination of, well, so many factors, right? So he loved music. He wanted to be somebody, and he wanted to escape this life he was born into of incredible poverty, and he saw music. He loved music. He saw music as a way to do that.
2: Can you slip away?
3: But he had also just coming off like five years of drinking and grieving over the loss of his wife, whose death he was involved in. And somebody was driving a car that she died in when they crashed. And so coming out of basically a drunken, uh, vagabond stupor, along with his love of music, he also had been rejected. Some he had started this endeavor with a couple other guys. Um, in a different location above a drugstore and they eventually kicked him out because he was too much of a hard ass they thought he worked all the time and they wanted to have fun with their cutting records and they thought Rick was a workaholic so they booted him there so you know it's the combination of all those things that motivated him I think
1: This is Paul Simon's
3: Kodachrome
0: So this is your directorial debut Yes, correct When I
2: think back on all the crap It's a wonder i can think at
0: all tell me about the process of making the film tell me about your best day of shooting and the absolute worst day where things completely out of control everything just went wrong
2: i can read the right
3: Yeah, you know man and that happens and it's so funny and I I'm very sensitive to that like you can just feel and I uh, for me I'm it's like feast or famine and I I can just tell when it's like stacked up against me and it's just the universe. And that day occurred on the Alicia when Alicia Keys came down. I mean, it was just nuts. I was certain I was not going to be able to put that together because it was literally there's tornadoes going on in Alabama. Crews were getting texts from their like loved ones in homes, or like being shredded. That was not one of the bad tornadoes. So, I, actually, I want to be careful here because there were some very bad tornadoes in Alabama around this time. This was not one of those that inflicted a lot of harm that was covered nationally. But there were some tornadoes going around, and so that was crazy. You could there's already so there's crazy you know energy just in mother nature alone. Alicia Keys young son had been very sick and so she was almost not going to come we were all set up for the shoot she was like eight ten hours late right and so all these musicians are hanging around for eight ten hours before then she actually shows to start the session then literally as soon as she gets there and walks in the room our main a camera we had one really good camera that camera went down literally she walks in the room
0: what type of camera you're using i had
3: a uh, red mx1 that went down as she walked in the room i had a new crew guy who was walked through the shot why alicia keys is performing what's his name oh my god oh my god cut that don't don't say okay (laughs) and then this is the moment that's just like really capped it off all this going on and my headphones break and here I am the director. I've got a guy walking through her shot. My main camera's down. She's come to bum FK Alabama to be a part of film. And all this crap's going on. And then she's got the director. My ear, my headphones break. And my left headphone is just hanging down like this. And she's got the director of this ramshackle production the, with its headphone hanging off here, talking to her, trying to ensure that everything is fine. This is going to just turn out great. We won't damage your reputation, Alicia. You know, and can't you tell that I've got this under control? So that was by clearly, that day was just a cluster of, Oh,
0: I would love to see a picture of this.
3: Oh my God, I, I know.
0: Did Rick assist you with reaching out to some of these the artists, or were you on your own there to to get him?
3: Well, they assisted on like a lot of these uh, Muscle Shoals folks, like recruiting Dan Penn and and other folks um, like that. He was helpful on on some of those other sort of so Dan Penn's a legend, but some of the other artists you may be referring to. No, he. He did I don't think he, he had contacts into most of them describe the studio to me it hasn't changed at all in other than you know the gear you walk in the room's the same the paneling's the same it's got pictures on the wall from every decade documenting its history you, you feel like you're going back in time it, it, you can tell it you know you, you feel you feel the history when you walk in there.
2: the first record I cut in this studio was a record called Steal Away by Jimmy Hughes. Brand new building, and I was hoping it had the magic. I didn't know. So I brought my band in, and I went up in the control room and sat down. Okay, all set. I turned on the microphones and nervously hit the talk back button to the musicians, and said, with a slight crackle in my voice, rolling. Rolling. One, two, one, two, three. I've got to see you Somehow Not tomorrow
1: Away by Jimmy Hughes, the very first song ever recorded in Rick Hall's Fame Studios. You're listening to Madcap, and we're speaking with Greg Freddie Camillear, director of the documentary Muscle Shoals. Were you going to ask about Percy Sledge? All right, well, I'm going to ask about Percy Sledge
2: right now. I'm from a small town called Leeton, right outside of Muscle Shoals. I was a little guy working in the field, chopping cotton. Singing to the older people in the field that always said that one day my voice would be heard all over the world, but I never thought that would happen. Percy worked at the local hospital. I was an orderly working with the sick people. I'd sing a song for them, you know, and they'd go to sleep. I got such a big kick out of that, you know, and I could see my patient laying up there smiling, you know, and feeling better. And, So one day I was invited to sing at the Elf's Club here in Sheffield. And just so happened, Quinn Ivey was a disc jockey at WLAY. And he heard me sing this song, and he loved the melody and the feel. He said, Percy Sledge, have you ever been interested in cutting a record? It
1: seems like one theme of this film and one theme of uh, Muscle Shoals in itself is like serendipity. Yes. So can you tell us a story of how Rick found Percy Sledge?
3: Yeah. Percy was a local bellhop. He worked in the cotton fields around there as well. And um, he used to sing when he was, he used to sing when whatever he was doing, at the hospital or in the fields. he used to sing. And people used to tell me he had a great voice. And then a local guy, Quinn Ivy in Marlon Green, heard Percy singing, and Quinn Ivy asked Percy if he'd be interested in recording a song. And Percy said, there was nothing he ever did, but, you know, he was up for it. And so they recorded the song, when a man loves a woman. And Quinn Ivy was trying to move the song, and he called Rick. He said, "Rick, I got this song. Will you take a listen. Tell me what you think. Can you help me, you know, find a distribution for it?" And so Rick listened to it. He said, "I think you got a hit." Rick called up Jerry Wexler from Atlanta Records and said, "I got this record. I think you should hear it." I think he called like on a Sunday. Jerry Wexler was like, having a party. He's like, "Rick, I hope this is important because I'm having a pool party with a bunch of important people. What do you want?" <laughs> and he, said, he said, Take a listen. I just want you to hear the song. And he played him all over the phone. He played him when a man loves a woman, and they released it and became a monster. About Wexler? Uh, he, I didn't mean him. He passed away after we, the road trip, but before we started filming. I remember getting on a plane and opening up the Wall Street Journal and reading he had died.
0: Is there any moment, or what moment did you cry during the making of this film? Um, David is asking this because he cried during the viewing of this film. I did, actually. Did you? Well, I'd Rather Go Blind by Etta James is a very big song yeah. in my life and when yeah. I found out at first when I found out she went down there then immediately I went on the computer I was like wait a second this yeah. should be recorded I'd rather go blind there and like there was just I, I also showed the film to my dad I yeah. showed the screen to my dad and he I mean a lot of a lot of emotions were rushing up yeah I don't want to tear up during this interview so
3: I kind of want yeah. to focus um, something
2: <laughs> something told
3: I remember I was uh, coming home after the first shoot and I was on the airplane and I was listening to um, Bob Dylan song he cut in Muscle Shoals Pressing On
2: Well I'm pressing on Yes I'm pressing on And um I just started
3: I just started crying and I was like really embarrassed because like on this plane and I was just like welling up with emotion and I was Listening to this track, he cut there, pressing on, and I was just crying, and and in, and actually in that moment, I was like, boy, this would be an amazing climax for the film, this song, and if we could get an artist to come down and sing it, that would be an amazing ending to the film, and man, I'm so glad we were able to actually execute that, and Alicia come down, because yeah that was ama- it was amazing for me to think that was like that was you know years three years later that it actually came to fruition but I don't know that somehow that plane ride home for some reason that's when I had the mo- thought of having pressing on be the ending of the film
2: Many try to stop me shake me up in my mind say prove to me
1: Were you with Rick the first time he saw the film? Yes. How did he react?
3: I was nervous. He, uh, I didn't get to sit next to him, or you know, I talked to him that night. He, where was the screening? It was the premiere at Sundance, and no, none of those guys had seen it yet. They all were seeing it for the first time, and I had just finished the film like six days before. So, as with Rick, normally it was a slow. He does not lavish you with compliments, but if he ever does, you better, boy, you better believe he means it. It was a slow brew. I knew he liked the film, but he didn't like gush about it. But boy, he every time I talk to him, it's he. Uh, it's so classic. He the last time I talked to him, he's like Freddie. He's like, man. He's like, you know, I hate everything. And he's like, and if I don't hate everything, I'm just hankering to hate something. And he's like, and you know. He's like, I'm hard to please. I don't like anything. He's like, I got to tell you, I love that film.
2: They had a song. They had an artist, but nobody knew what to do. Not even all these geniuses. But out of that quietness came Spooner with... And I said, hey, Spooner's got it. That's it. Rita jumped right on it. was cut within 15 to 20 minutes. You didn't have to ask, uh, what do you think? Everybody knew it was a hit. I think everything came together for Aretha in Muscle Shoals. They got Aretha to record a much more funky kind of style in Muscle Shoals. It was really the essence of her. Coming to Muscle Shows was the turning point. That's where uh, I recorded I Never Loved a Man, which became my first million selling record. So absolutely it was a milestone and the turning point in my career.
3: Combined with the fact that it's about his story, I I was, that's one of the best feelings for me, you know, to hear that.
1: After the screening went well at Sundance, how were the parties?
3: You know, Sundance was just kind of stressful. So someone gave me a great analogy. It must have been a woman, apparently, who gave me this analogy. But she said, it's like giving birth. So you're not, like, fun. Everyone's like, are you having fun? It's like, nah, not really having fun. You know, it's just like you just feel anxious and usually come out strung out. I was coming in strung out from finishing the film doing doubles to finish it and it's just hard to have fun but then then we went to Sundance London and that by that time the film's done you've given birth it's out there then it was just a party and it was freaking great where
1: were those parties in
3: London boy all over um our hotel room (laughs) (laughs) um there is parties on you know there uh well we know Greg Allman came over and John Paul White and they played a set and that was awesome and did you join in and play with them? I would love I wish they'd invited me up. I was waiting for an invite. I never got it.
2: <laughs> well, I know my baby She's gonna jump and shout That old train be late, man And I come a-walking out Walking out of trouble mm-hmm. right all in my mind Well, I can't be satisfied
0: as a director how do you pull out the traumatic stories like with with delicacy I mean because he has some pretty because Rick definitely had some pretty tough background like how do you how do you how do you get somebody to offer up that information willingly
3: you I mean you pay attention you try to be sensitive and and be aware like you know um, as you get to know the person what you ask them you want to really listen and be aware of, like, where their comfort zone is. And then for things that he wasn't comfortable with, sometimes you need to step on it with someone because you need it, and then other times you need to back off, you know. And so we just, when things you weren't comfortable with, just we just let it be. And fortunately, you know, two years in, some of that stuff, and, you know, as time went on, he trusted us, and then the relationship developed, and you knew that the trust was there, and that and he ended up going, you know, everywhere with us. This is Madcap with Greg Freddie
0: Camellier, and we're discussing Rick Hall, Fame studios, in the film that documents their amazing story, named after the town in Alabama that started it all, Muscle Shoals. Here's a clip from the film about Rick Hall's autobiographical song titled Patches. The singer is Clarence Carter.
2: I was playing in uh, Texas. And Rick Hall called me and told me he had a song he wanted me to come up there and do. I was born and raised down in Alabama on a farm way back up in the woods. I was so ragged that folks used to call me patches. Papa used to tease me by it. ghost deep down inside. He was hurt because he'd done all he could. When Rick played the song to me, I said, we're going the wrong direction. He didn't like the song because he thought it was a downer for his people, the black people. My papa was a great old man. My papa was a great old man. I can see him with the shovel in his hand. Education he never never had, but he did wonders when when times got bad. And it was my story about me and my father to the ground when he tried to get up life would kick him back down and one day Papa called me to his dying bed put his hands on my shoulders and in tears he said he said Patches I'm depending on your son to pull the family through my son it's all left up to
1: you Freebird is an almost stereotypically anthemic and kind of classic rock and roll track and that was recorded at Muscle Shoals. Can you tell a bit of the story of that?
3: Yeah, that's a good story. Um yeah, they were recording Freebird, and they all went a l Jimmy John, they were up there, Skinner, you know, they they were they were just dirt poor. No one knew them. They didn't have any hits. They the were Zant Boys. Yeah, exactly. And um they uh they went out on lunch break and uh the engineer and one of the roadies and stay hung back while everybody else went to lunch and when they came back the engineer had re the tape and was playing the song and the roadie was sitting at the piano just playing this unbelievable concert piano and he had been with him like a year and and Jimmy Johnson, Ronnie and all the guys walk in and they look at each other like oh my, what the F and Jimmy I think turned around and I don't know about you but I can record that and they went up and recorded him playing and then he became a band member and was like an integral part of their sound was his piano playing.
1: Billy Powell? Billy Powell. Was the roadie?
3: Yes. I had no idea. I know. BP! Yeah, he was the roadie. That's my boy. Yeah.
1: Now, uh, wait, wait, wait. wait. What? What about that guitar solo? That's one of the most crazy, epic, multi-tracked guitar solos ever. Oh, I
3: know. Totally, I can hear it in my head right now. I know. Totally, like, perfect solo.
0: What was your favorite quote from the film? Mine was, you never know when you're making history.
3: Yeah, that's a good one that Donna Jean said that. Um, One that rings out for me always is, If you get the opportunity and the budget to make a record, and you don't make a hit record, you'll never get another call. That's how I felt making this movie, and I was aware of that all the time.
1: Greg, we really appreciate you talking to us. Great film, we really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Greg, Freddie, Camellier. His directorial debut, Muscle Shoals, about Rick Hall and Fame Studios, The Swampers, and the Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section opens today in New York on iTunes and On Demand with a wider release in the coming weeks. The film opens in Chicago on October
0: 4th, Philly, Nashville, and Los Angeles on October 11th, and Greg's hometown of Washington, D.C. on October 18th.
1: There's also a soundtrack Available now on Republic Records.
0: Arthur Conley with Sweet Soul Music.
1: Aren't you a local boy made good? Yes. Because you know we have a worldwide scope on this show, but we're yeah. based here in DC. We're we're Montgomery, Montgomery County yeah. guys ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Where'd you go to high school? Where'd you
3: grow up? I uh, grew up in, in uh, Montgomery County as well, and I went to Landon uh, School. Landon School
1: for boys. Yeah, exactly. I know exactly like Bethesda. Yeah. Your thoughts on this region? Did it inspire you to, to uh, be the artist all you I are can now? Say
3: uh, my thoughts on this region is: Why did uh, Mike Shanahan not pull RG three out of that game? And the uh, in the first quarter, that's all I can say, too. Mm, still pains me.
2: I get off the plane, Southern Airlines, and he had this long, tall, um, a uh, white man, we call him Pecker Woods. I met Wilson Pickett, picked him up at the airport. He looked like, to me, a dangerous man. He walked up like he'd known me for 500 years. Hey, Wilson, come on, come on. We're going to cut some fucking records. Boy, we're going to really cut some records. Come on, Wilson. Come on. I said, wait, wait, I'm, I'm nervous, you know what I mean? Now, what does white man know about producing a Wilson Pickett? <laughs> And on the way to the studio, I'd look at him, and he'd look at me, and I could see it in his eyes. He was thinking, "What am I doing with this cracker down here in Alabama?" We went through the cotton patch. People still picking cotton. I said, "Is that what I think it is?" Yeah, wasn't they still picking cotton down here? You could see a studio from the cotton patch.
1: For more information and a full list of screenings, visit MuscleScholesMovie.com. Special thanks to Amelia, Jenna, and Mallory at Allied DHA and to the entire press team at AFI Docs, led by our buddy, Lauren Selman. Best believe when this film comes to our hometown, we'll be in the house. Check our social media pages at Madcap DC for an announcement of the DC viewing party at West End Cinema.
3: Madcap is produced by Dan Bloom, David Ross, and Ephraim Shapiro.
0: MadcapDC.org, on Facebook, Twitter, and the Stitcher app, at MadcapDC.